Good morning, everyone. I want to reiterate the um, good wishes for the new year for all of you and your own folk during this year of 2012. There are one or two slight changes to the the normal running order this morning. The first is that the call to worship is Psalm 150. You have the words on the sheet And I'm hoping that we can all read this together as our opening act of worship. Psalm 150. Let's read it together. Praise the Lord. Praise God in his temple. Praise his strength in heaven. Praise him for the mighty things he has done. Praise his supreme greatness. Praise him with trumpets. Praise him with hearts and lives. Praise him with drums and dancing. Praise him with harps and flutes. Praise him with cymbals. Praise him with loud cymbals. Praise the Lord, all living creatures. Praise the Lord. Now we turn to God in prayer together. Let's all pray. Everlasting God, we've been celebrating your coming into our world in the person of Jesus Christ. We're glad to know that your light continues to shine in the darkness of our world. We praise you for the way your love shone in so many lives during the Savior's ministry. Through his healing he brought to the sick, his comfort for the distressed, his promises to the poor, and his forgiveness to the lost. We ask you to receive our worship and shine in our lives today. We praise you for the light that has shone in so many lives since, for the faith you have nurtured in innumerable hearts, new beginnings, new purposes, new life born within them. Again, we ask you to receive our worship. We rejoice that you are working in our lives here and now, inviting us to bring our hopes, our fears and concerns before you in the knowledge that you always meet our needs and that there's no situation beyond our power to transform and redeem. We praise you for the assurance that evil will ultimately be overcome, that hope will replace despair, that life will triumph over death, and that even the deepest darkness shall be turned into light. Fill us now with the light of Christ. May it illumine our worship and guide our footsteps, so that we may live as a lamp for others to the glory of your name. Receive our worship and shine in our lives today, for in his name we ask it, as now we continue to say together the words that Jesus taught us. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us our and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power and the glory forever. Amen. 
And now at this point in our service, I'd like us to bring our prayers of intercession to our Heavenly Father. I want to apologize. The fault is entirely mine. I like to have a response at various places in the uh, prayers of intercession. I will give you a cue several times, which the cue being, may your light shine upon them. And the response is a beacon of hope and a lamp to their path. Now, this is not meant as a memory test, but it would help enormously if we could just remember that when I say, may your light shine upon them, we all say together, a beacon of hope and a lamp to their path. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus Christ, you promised that those who seek will find. And in the pilgrimage of the Magi, we find the proof of that promise. So now we bring you our prayers for all in our world, known and unknown to us, who in different ways are searching. May your light shine upon them, a beacon of hope and a lamp to their path. We pray for those who search for meaning, with empty lives devoid of purpose, hungering for something or someone to put their trust in. In the bewildering variety of this world's voices, each claiming to offer the answer, may your love break through and the message of the gospel touch their hearts so that they may find in you the one who is the way the truth, and the life. May your light shine upon them, a beacon of hope and a lamp to their path. We pray for those for whom the journey of life is hard, beset by pain, sickness, sorrow, or overwhelmed by disaster, deprivation, or injustice. In the trials these folks face and the burdens they struggle with, May your love break through, and the message of the gospel bring strength and comfort, help, healing, and inspiration. May your light shine upon them, a beacon of hope and a lamp to their path. Father, we particularly want to pray for those unsure of the way ahead, faced by difficult choices and vital decisions, troubled by situations. Which they can, through which they can see no way forward, doubting their ability to cope with the, with the demands the future will bring in the uncertainties of this ever-changing world. May your love break through and the message of the gospel bring a new sense of direction and inner peace. And in the assurance that you alone can give, so that whatever they may face, they will know that nothing can separate them from your love. May your love, light shine upon them, a beacon of hope and a lamp to their path. And Father, we think of those who we've known who have gone astray, turning their back on their principles, their loved ones, or above all, you yourself. In this world of so many subtle, powerful temptations, may your love break through. And may the message of the gospel bring new beginnings 
so that however low they may have fallen, they will know themselves forgiven, accepted and restored. May your light shine upon them, a beacon of hope and a lamp to their path. Lord Jesus Christ, we ask you, hear our prayer. Encompassed within your love for all those who seek purpose, help, guidance, and mercy. May they find in you the answer to their prayer and the end to all their searching. For we ask these things together and unitedly in your name. Amen. Our Bible reading today is from 2 Chronicles chapter 29, verses 25 to 30, and it's found on page 454 of the Old Testament. The king followed the instructions that the Lord had given to King David through Gad, the king's prophet, and through the prophet Nathan. He stationed Levites in the temple with harps and cymbals, instruments like those that King David had used. The priests also stood there with trumpets. Hezekiah gave the order for the burnt offering to be presented, and as the offering began, the people sang praise to the Lord, and the musicians began to play the trumpets and all the other instruments. Everyone who was there joined in worship, and the singing and the rest of the music continued until all the sacrifices had been burnt. Then King Hezekiah and all the people knelt down and worshipped God. The king and the leaders of the nation told the Levites to sing to the Lord the songs of praise that were written by David and by Asaph the prophet. So everyone sang with great joy as they knelt and worship God. Amen. This is God's word. It's always nice to have the opportunity to preach in your own church. It's even nicer when you're not the minister of the church. <laughs> but I felt, in thinking about the service, I felt we had to do something which reflected the fact that however much we look at it, the 1st of January 2012 represents a new beginning. Because by the time the 1st of January 2013 comes around, if nothing else, we'll all be a year older. And all sorts of things will have happened in our homes and in our church and in our world. And when I was thinking about something which would put a bit of stress on the beginning of the new year I remember the sermon I had done long long time ago I preached it in a church somewhere up in the Angus Glens and I was given 30, 30 shillings to cover my travel and my preaching fee and that song that sermon was based on the words of two chronicles Chapter 29, verse 27. The song of the Lord began with the trumpets. Now the background to this is that Hezekiah was one of the most perfect kings who ever sat on the throne of Judah. His reign was as different from his father Ahaz as night is from day. 
His first great work, Hezekiah's first great work, was to reopen the temple, which he'd found in a shocking state of disrepair. This was accompanied, as one would, would expect, with much magnificent ceremonial. And it's in connection with this revival of worship that we come across the statement that gives us our text this morning, the song of the Lord began with the trumpets. Now, there were other musical instruments employed in this opening ceremony. Some of them, doubtless, would be very sweet and capable of expressing a great range of feeling. But the point I want to make to you this morning And I'd like you to fix it in your thoughts is this. The song of the Lord began with the trumpet note. Now I need to tell you, what's the trumpet note? Well, it's not a note of sweetness. It's a note of power. There's never any doubt about the trumpet. No uncertainty. It rings out in a commanding way. It's the music of challenge and defiance, and it stirs the heart into the joy of battle. And you know, friends, the song of the Lord began with the trumpets. And as I meditate on this, it seems to me that the Lord's song has a way of doing that. Oh, there's a place for every instrument, but the thrilling of the trumpet is its prelude. And today I will try and show you what I mean and try to catch in one or two directions echoes from this order that Hezekiah gave that the song of the Lord would begin with trumpets. I think in the first place we should look at the Bible. Now whatever else it is, in a great and glorious sense, it's the song of the Lord. It falls on the yearning heart of mankind like the music of the infinite. God has not given us a creed of logic, nor has he given us a formal catechism. He has given us a book. And from first to last, it's strangely beautiful and rich in melody. And so unforgettable is that sweet melody And so haunting are its cadences and comforts, it lingers with us in the times we're up against it. And it comes to us when we're ill, and it comes to us when the curtains are closed and the heart is broken. Sometimes it's full of gladness, and sometimes it's full of tears. There's a strain in it for the merry heart. And there's a strain in it too, to win and to woo the prodigal. And yet, when I turn to the beginning of the Bible and when I read these words, in the beginning God, I feel that here, as in the temple ritual, it's with a trumpet that the song begins. Four words of magnificent defiance ring out in the first verse of the first chapter of Genesis. To every atheist, to every polytheist, it cries out, 
in the beginning, God. It looks abroad over the arch of heaven where the sun shines and where the stars are glittering. It seems to put its put the trumpet to its lips and it cries, God created the heaven and the earth. The day was to come when in the heavenly music there was to be bitter, pathetic notes. They were to be voiced in such doubts and fears as only a stricken soul can understand. But of the first note, there is no doubt. It is a challenge to an embattled world. It rings with a confidence that's sublime in the almighty creator of the universe. And that's why men, despite all the changes of views, can never give up on Genesis chapter 1. It stirs the spirit, and it's so thrilling when we are wearied with the speculation of others. Despite our sheltered outlook in these modern days, Christians read it and are reanimated, and that's the noble music of the trumpet sounding through the truth of God. One of the disappointments of biblical criticism for some of us is that it makes, us, makes it hard to hear the trumpet note. It's an ancient tradition of the Jews that in heaven there's trumpet music every morning. And one of the most pathetic legends in all the world is the old Jewish legend that referred to Lucifer, who for his pride was expelled from heaven and cast into the pit. And someone asked him what he missed most of all when he lost heaven. And Lucifer said, I miss most of all the sound of the trumpets in the morning. As an honest man responsible to God, I can't afford to shut out the light that theology tries to cast in these last days. But I can tell you, having spent some money and wasted a lot of time on reading so-called modern theological classics, I miss the sound of trumpet in the morning. Our fathers heard it, and they rejoiced in it. We heard it gloriously when we were children. There was no difficulty then and no dupiety and nothing incredible in any narrative. But now, with our added knowledge, drawn from a hundred sources irrefutable, sometimes when the heart is weary, we miss the trumpet note. There's no help for it. It must be borne. I believe it will come right again when we are faithful, I suppose that always if we remain true to the truth for a while, we must miss the trumpet note for a little. But there's one thing we shall never forfeit, and that's a good conscience and a happy heart. If we are true to the light, wherever it may lead, and listen to the inner voice of the eternal. The song of the Lord began with a trumpet. It applies to scripture. I want to take it now and use it against the background of the life of the master. It's not only a suggestive, it's not only suggestive of the written word, it's also suggestive of the incarnate word. 
There was never a ministry on earth so rich in variety as that of Jesus Christ. There's a range in it, a range of power and appeal, and it's been the wonder of the ages. Despite the narrow sphere in which it was exercised, in spite of the limitations the master assumed, Excuse me a minute. How wonderful in its breadth and height the, the Redeemer's ministry proved to be. There's a music of an unutterable love in it to the lonely and the prodigal and the sincere. There's the lingering note of a patience inexhaustible to men who seem as though they would never learn. There's the passion of scorn for all hypocrisy the most stern and terrible rebuke, the pleading of a heart nearly broken. What an unequaled song of the heart that was, the earthly ministry of Jesus Christ. What a fullness was in it. What a compass. What an unfailing and glorious variety. Yet here again, as in the written word, and not by chance here any more than there, it is with the trumpet note that the that this <coughs> that song began. You remember the beginning of the ministry of Jesus, driven by the Spirit into the wilderness. What's the one note in the opening scene? It's not love yet, nor is it patience, nor is it the pleading of a tender heart. It's the ringing music of defiance. It's a challenge to the power of darkness. It's a loud and glorious trumpet blast against all the temptations of the devil. The day was coming when Christ would say, Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden. When he would say, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd gives his life for the sheep. But then in the opening hour of his ministry, it wasn't that, but get behind me, Satan. Man shall not live by bread alone. You should worship God and serve him only. Do you hear the kind of shrill trumpet note in the background there? That's the trumpet note. And the song of the Lord began with trumpets, clear, certain, ringing out unfalteringly. It sounded the loud summons to battle. And how that battle went in all its fortunes. And how it ended in the triumph of the cross, there's not one of you know, but know it as well as I do. The song of the Lord began with the trumpet. And I think of this text, and I want to apply it again to the history of the church of Jesus Christ. Century after century, unceasingly, the song of the Lord has been lifted up to heaven. It's ascended from great cathedrals and from lonely chapels on the moor, from sick rooms where the heart was weary and from the arena where the lions were roaring. What wonderful notes have been blended into harmony in that magnificent song of the redeemed. Through all the ages it's gone echoing on and it shall echo until time shall be no more. And here again, 
when I open my New Testament. And when I read the story of the Acts of the Apostles, it's the sounding of the trumpet music. Do you remember what someone said of John Knox's preaching? I'm told it was the English ambassador who said it. He said that Knox's preaching stirred more men than the sound of 500 trumpets. What a compliment that was. But when you turn to the record of the apostolic days, and when you read there the apostolic testimony, that is just the impression it makes. Think of it. That band of humble men, fearing forth to conquer the world. And you say, well, what was the gospel? The, Jew, the gospel was a Jew who had been crucified. And you ask me, what was their hope? Their hope was that he would come again. And yet these men, with what inspired audacity, what unwavering and unfaltering confidence, what magnificent and exalted courage did they fling themselves on an embattled world. And the verdict was that men took knowledge of them, that they had been with Jesus. What was it that made men sure of that? It was not any learning they displayed, for they were unlearned and ignorant men. Men took knowledge of them that they had been with Jesus because of the boldness they showed. Men heard the trumpet and recognized the captain. I'm told, you know, that Handel in his oratorios uses the trumpet when God was drawing near. So if you're in the concert hall listening to a Handel oratorio, and the trumpet begins to play, it's the sign of the approach of deity. And I recognize that God is near in the conquering spirit of the Lord Jesus Christ when I hear the trumpets in the church at Pentecost. And while we are far from Pentecost, I miss the sound of trumpets in the morning. I miss sometimes the ringing note of confidence that ought to characterize the church of Christ. I miss the overmastering conviction that the world needs a redeemer and that Jesus shall reign wherever the sun doth his successive journeys run. Our text has a relevance too in the drama of our individual lives. This truth it's, not, it's a universal truth, but like many a great universal truth, it has a personal application. And there's, one of, there's a passage in one of the epistles which says to its readers, you are God's workmanship. But that word has a finer meaning than even workmanship. And I'm no Greek scholar, but you can take it from me, the lexicon says that this can also be translated, you are God's poem. He means that the life which is given you to live, despite your failures and your sins, is given by God to be a sweet song. The stars in their courses sing the song of the Lord. That's what used to be called the music of the spheres. And in springtime, when the world is green and the time of the singing of the birds has come again, but remember that every human life with its joy and its sorrow, its sunshine and its tears has been fashioned to make melody. It ends 
when duty has been bravely done, and when life has been well lived, in music that is beautiful and noble. It ends with a strain. When life has been well lived, that is, sweet, that is sweeter than any music of the angels. When I think of the high hopes of youth and the gallant enthusiasms of opening manhood, I realize that life, as well as in the temple, it is with the trumpets that the song of the Lord begins. What daring there is in the heart when it is young. What a raging confidence that you can conquer the world. What a passion of scorn for comfort and ease. And it's one of the offices of youth in a world that's always tending to grow old, to kindle heroism and sound the challenge and ring out upon the night the note of the trumpet. I'm told that when Napoleon was crossing the Alps, his soldiers were almost in despair. They were quite spent. They were appalled at the perils of their journey. And then someone with a flash of inspiration suggested they should sing the Marseillaise. And the Marseillaise made them men again. This is one of the offices of youth. It sings the Marseillaise up there on the snowy alps. It sounds out when the world is weary, the note of glorious, rousing cheer. Other music will be learned in time, richer it may be, or even far more tender. But the song of the Lord begins with the trumpets. And lastly, I want to say in a word or two, can't we take this great fact about the song of the Lord beginning with trumpets and apply it to heaven. For heaven is not only to be a place of rest. Heaven is to be a place of music. (coughs) You know how much there is here that we cannot put into words which music sometimes seems to understand. I've listened to music that echoed and interpreted what I have tried to say and could not. So I take it that the heavenly music will be just the power which God gives us in glory for saying out at last in perfect utterance what we could ne'er express, yet could not all conceal. If so, how wonderful will be that music, what infinite experience it will convey. It will be the consummation of all melody and the grandest song of the Lord. And you know how it begins, for in the solemn and sublime words of Scripture, the trumpet shall sound, and the dead shall be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. You know, in the second part of Pilgrim's Progress, Bunyan describes in his own matchless way the death of Mr. Valiant for truth. He got his summons with his token on it that his picture was broken at the fountain. Then he gave his sword to him who should succeed him and his courage and skill to him who could get it. And mark my scars, he said, I carry with me to be my witness that I have fought his battles who will now be my rewarder. So he came to the river 
And as he entered it, he said, O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? And so he passed over. And then add Bunyan in one of his exquisite and immortal touches. All the trumpets sounded for him on the other side. Friends, when our part is played, God grant that we have a welcome such as that. Life is not easy. We're tempted sometimes to lose the faith. And we often miss the ringing music in the morning. But if we continue valiant, faithful for the truth, someday with our marks and our scars still on us, we too shall hear the note of welcome and the trumpet shall sound for us on the other side. Amen. May God bless his word.